Dahmer was the odd one out. It was a bit of a threat, but it was small, so it could safely be ignored. Over time, that changed to, whoa, this guy is very successful. He's conquering the world. And now he's the most important player in the Dutch shipbuilding industry by far. You're listening to On Course, a podcast from Dame about how a visionary idea turned a small company into one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world. My name is Volker Tempelman, and I've been fascinated by Dutch entrepreneurs at home and abroad for years. In this podcast, you'll hear a remarkable story about headwinds and perseverance, about daring and doing. It's 2006, and Kommer Damen is no longer the CEO of Damen Shipyards. Under his leadership, the company grew to become the biggest shipyard in the Netherlands, employing around 11,000 people worldwide from China to Nigeria. Kommer has passed the baton onto René Bergvens, but he continues to play a role. He's still a shareholder, and the new board often makes use of his knowledge and experience. In the meantime, Commerce philosophy remains rooted in everything the company does. That means building for stock, standardization, fast delivery times, and a low-cost price. After all these years, it's still a successful formula for business. We always wanted more. Bigger, better, more profits, more growth. And things would go well for a while, then there would be a bit of a downturn in the economy, and we would go up and down with those waves. But it was never very serious for Damon. Of course, that has everything to do with the fact that the company was so incredibly diversified in terms of products and geography. We had a presence in so many different markets at the same time, on so many continents, and with so many different products, that if something went wrong, there were always other things that were going right. And that was definitely a factor around that time. There was plenty of stability in the company, enabling it to keep on growing and growing. That's clear when you look back. And René says there's another factor that played a role in Damen's success. Standardization and building for stock is great. But you need to make sure you can sell that stock, which is why the company has such a big sales organization. I think we have 40, 50, 60 traveling salespeople, and we definitely need them. You can't just endlessly turn out ships. You need to sell them too. And that means you need to seize every opportunity when it arises, wherever that may be in the world. And for that, you need a big sales organization. Even without Kommer, Damen remained ambitious. For example, it continued to expand in Asia, to countries like Vietnam. And now that he was no longer involved with the company on a day-to-day -day basis, a new era began for Kommer. 
he was finally able to spend more time on his great passion, sailing, with the unconditional support of his wife, Josine. I always encouraged him because I knew it was his great ambition to sail his own yacht around the world. So one day I said, you should do it while you're still in good health. We had young children, so I said, go do that with your sailing buddies and I'll keep an eye on things here. If anyone is unavailable for whatever reason, I'll take their place. So Kommer embarked on his new adventure, sailing around the world for the second time. He took three sailing buddies with him as crew. Guido Schutz, Eddie Bicker and Kees Reuvers. As someone to spend an extended period at sea with, like we did, he's exceptionally good company. I clearly remember how serious the preparations always were, down to the smallest detail. We never felt unsafe on board or had a feeling that it was all going to go horribly wrong. What I do appreciate in Kommer is that he isn't afraid to delegate responsibility. Kommer was definitely the captain on board. He and his crew sailed around the world in stages. From Australia to Cape Town, from St. Helena to Brazil, and so on until each of the world's seas had been conquered. But anyone who thought Kommer was leaving the company behind on his voyage was wrong. Look, for us it's easy. When we step on board, we basically leave everything behind us. But for Kommer, with all the means of communication available today, he never stops. When he'd had enough of holding the phone, you would suddenly hear his conversations throughout the ship via the intercom system, which meant we got to learn how you run a company like that and what it involves. He always took photos of competitors' vessels along the way. Tugboats, pilot boats, navy boats. His secretary would collect them and they would discuss them to see if they could provide any new ideas. Of course, it's useful to copy smart innovations that others have come up with, definitely. And when we arrived in port somewhere, in Namibia, for example, he'd have a look around to see if there was a yard that might be of interest to him. In short, he's always thinking about the company. We would always visit shipyards, for example, on the last trip to Finland, where they build splendid yachts and beautiful ships. We'd always go and take a look. I still think that was one of the highlights of the trip. Our friendship with him really enriched our lives, in every way. Kommer had reached retirement age, but taking a step back was something he found hard. He built up Damen's shipyards with blood, sweat and tears. Try letting that go. Yet, he actively handed over the business to the next generation, his sons and daughters. After all, they understood Damen's philosophy better than anyone, as Josine explains. I think it's inevitable that our children are so closely involved in the business. They've seen their father working hard for the company all their lives. They've all worked for the company during school vacations. I think that sense of involvement came about naturally, and I'm glad it did. 
Ik ben Beer Dame. Ik ben de zoon van Kommer. I'm Beer Damen, Kommer's son and brother to Arnout, Annalise and Rose. I make films, but I've also kept one foot in the company because I'm a shareholder, because it's the family firm, but also because I have a strong affinity with the company and I have always loved it. Beer is the youngest of Kommer's children. As a child, he always loved the shipyard. I remember go-karting around the site on Sundays. Of course, there were no employees there, or only very few, maybe a welder or two, so it wasn't a problem. As a kid, I thought that was great. And as a kid, it's natural to be impressed by boats. When I was between 16 and 18, I got more involved in the company. When you're 18, the shares are transferred and you become part of, in my case, the non-executive board. The internal motivation is very simple. We want to keep the business in the family. The best part of a family firm is a kind of shared interest, not just in the profits, but also in the company's future. You have a longer-term vision, everything is geared to that. And there were always people around us. For instance, on the supervisory board, who had the best interest of the family at heart and supported that long-term vision. For Beer, as for the rest of the family, the company is always present in everything. What's it like to grow up with a father who's so entrepreneurial and travels the world? Here's Comer's daughter, Annelies. I would always say, my father actually has five children, and child number one is this company. He was always traveling. After my father had been off to some far-flung destination, he would show us photos when he came back. I remember the first time he went to China, back when nobody went to China, and he told us stories about it. On the other hand, we never really had a father who was there for us because he was always traveling and working at the yard. Eventually, Annelies chose to study at Nijerode Business University. But even there, she couldn't avoid the family firm. Nijerode is really big on case studies. It's very practice-based. And we had two that were based on my father's vision of standardization. The company was very much used as an example, and it was nice hearing a professor explaining the background to it. And I also learned what it meant to manage a company. A family-owned business is a very different concept than a company that's listed on the stock exchange or that has lots and lots of shareholders who are not related to one another. The lines of communication are short, and it's a much warmer company to work for, I think. We've definitely had some tough years, and the business is a very big presence in our family. You can't just say, I've had enough of the family for a while, I'm leaving, because you have a responsibility. There are only five of us shareholders. It's intense, but it's also wonderful. A family firm is something special. All of us are pretty much on the same page, which is great. Annelies has been involved in the operational management for a long time. In the previous episode, you heard how, following the takeover of the Schelde, she was responsible for selling the real estate. These days, she's on the supervisory board. She also develops interior concepts for the yachts built by Dame Yachting. 
which is headed up by her younger sister Rose. Rose also learned about running the company from an early age. When I was small, I played at being secretary, pretending to do shorthand, that kind of thing, looking at all the boats at the wharf. I also did various jobs there. I worked in the maintenance department. That was fun. I was the only woman on the production side back then. I worked with a really great team. Our job was to repair all kinds of things. We had to repair welding equipment, for instance, but also replace lights in the production hall. So then I got to go up in the cherry picker. One time, a chair broke in my father's office. So, of course, I got sent there to repair it. But Rose was also a shareholder at a very young age, which involved certain obligations. When I was 14, I attended my first shareholders meeting. I got to drop in on the CFO, Marietta Dornekamp, to learn how to put together a balance sheet, a cash flow statement, that kind of thing. But I have to say it was always voluntary. I never felt any pressure to work at the company part-time or anything like that. I was never told, you must go and study in Delft, or you'll work in the family firm when you're older. I was always told I should do what I enjoyed. So Rose pursued her own interests. She studied at Erasmus University, followed by the London School of Economics. She also got her first job in London. But after a while, curiosity got the better of her. Shouldn't she give working in the family firm a try? I always joke about this because perhaps the most important lesson I learned in London is that you should never invest in shipbuilding. You're basically told not to invest in companies which are subject to big risks or which are capital intensive. But then my curiosity basically won out. I thought, I don't want to reach 50 and then wonder what it would have been like to work for the family firm. So I thought I'd try it for a year and then decide what I wanted to do. But after just three days, I was absolutely loving it. It really felt like coming home. And I knew I'd stay a while longer. Of course, it does have its challenges. Because the business and personal relationships are all blurred together. I'm Rose, managing director of Dam Yachting. And I'm also Kummer's youngest daughter. It's all very interwoven. Whereas Rose initially hesitated, for Arnoud... Commerce's eldest son, the choice to go into shipbuilding was much more clear. Yeah, my name is Arno Diamond. My name is Arno Diamond, and I'm the CEO of Diamond Shipyards. My father always had the habit of sending a postcard from every country he went to, always with a story about the ships he was selling there. So I was into ships from a young age. I had posters of ships in my bedroom. Some of them were competitors of ours, I later learned, like Big Ocean Going Tugs by Smith. My school projects from when I was nine or ten were about naval ships or tugboats, complete with technical details about the number of horsepower a vessel had and so on. Things like that. After I finished high school, it was clear that I was going to do a maritime degree. Arnaud studied marine engineering in Delft, after graduating, he set up his own maritime media company. And then, in 2008, Kommer asked Arnoud and Annelies to join the board. Two years later, when it looked like one of the board members would be leaving, 
I was asked whether I felt ready to take over that position. Six months later, the vacancy opened up, and I said yes. So I started working as Chief Operating Officer. Arnaud started as COO on December 1st, 2010. He was given final responsibility for all product development, sales and shipbuilding in Gorkum. He was pretty much parachuted into the company. I had about two hours handover with my predecessor. There was no overlap because he was already gone. So basically it was good luck. In hindsight, in terms of gaining experience at Diamond, it might have been better if he'd worked his way up through the ranks. I didn't know a lot of people already because I'd been spending more and more time with those companies. My own business was also based in the maritime sector, so I went to all the trade shows, and now and then I joined Dad on his travels or went to look at shipyards with him. So I already knew most of the people who reported to me. During his first few years as COO, Damen went through a difficult period. The offshore market collapsed and demand for various types of vessels declined. René Bergvens was CEO at the time. That whole period was marked by the rise of China as a shipbuilding nation. That started in the 2000s. Of course, we had two yards there ourselves, but the Chinese wanted to do everything that we were doing. China became more and more of a serious competitor. Of course, Damen has always had competitors, but in 2018 it reported a loss for the first time in 15 years. A couple of rocky years followed. And then, in 2020, CEO René Bergvens made way for his successor. And who that was isn't hard to guess. Look, my father was an entrepreneur through and through. He was able to deliver quickly thanks to his vision of building for stock and series production. And that kept the cost price down. So there were benefits on both sides. It was very successful. That was followed by expansion with a large number of takeovers. Of course, in my role, steering the company is the most important task. I also have a huge entrepreneurial spirit and all kinds of creative ideas for solutions for new ships. But I have to manage a group made up of 50 companies and 12,000 employees, not to mention all the associated regulations. Arnaud was born into the family. He's been learning about shipbuilding since he could walk. So he's a great historical understanding of the company and he'd sat on the board for nine years. So, when I handed things over, I didn't feel there was anything more I needed to tell him. He definitely has plans and ideas, and he doesn't need other people to help him see the big picture. Then he's ready for the next step, thank you. Whatever it may be. I see opportunities everywhere. But I'm a huge optimist and I want to make improvements in every area, for every product, for every service we offer. I try to compare us with the competition and see what we can do better. 
Really, you need to have a vision of how you can beat the competition in nearly every segment. That way, you can grow across the board. But it's also unrealistic to aim for 100% market share. You need to want to be the market leader, but customers will always want to have a choice. Take Mercedes trucks, they have perhaps 20% market share, which means they're definitely a market leader. But 80% of customers will buy trucks not built by Mercedes. That said, Daman builds 40% of the world's tugs. The conglomerate has 55 companies, of which 35 are shipyards for construction and repairs, dotted all over the world. Each year, they build between 160 and 200 ships. That's roughly one ship every other day. Over 50 years ago, Kommer had a clearly defined vision from which this global conglomerate has evolved. What's it like to be the successor to that and to continue to grow the company? Now and then you're confronted with the fact that your name is written on the roof. And I think we have a model where we talk to each other enough about the future. The world is changing, obviously. Things like sustainability and renewable energy sources are very much on the agenda. We really need to be a leader in those developments and adapt to them. That's Arnout's vision. With the growth in offshore wind farms, we developed a ship that can serve the wind turbines at sea. Similarly, with all the other energy sources that are currently under development, we respond immediately by developing an appropriate type of vessel. That way we can stay ahead of the curve. I'm proud of the fact that we're the first shipyard to initiate all those developments. It's important that we keep doing that. The major difference with the last 95 years is that we're trying to develop a ship-as-a-service aspect. We call that maritime solutions. Whereas in the past, you built a ship, you sold it, provided a guarantee and supplied spare parts. Nowadays, customers increasingly want a vessel for a defined period of time. Ten years, say. And after that, they want to hand it back to you. So we're moving much more towards a rental model, with maintenance included. There'll be a shift in that direction in the years to come. Arnaud acts as a counterweight to me sometimes. I might say, you need to do this or that. But he's able to offer a different perspective. The shipbuilding market is an important part of the Dutch economy. In 2020, the turnover of the maritime industry was over 20 billion euros, around 3% of the GDP. In order to remain successful within that sector, Kommer believes diversification is more important than ever. The government sector is pretty stable. Oil and gas are volatile. Wind is growing. Aquaculture is up and coming, and our dredging is basically the construction industry driver. That largely means sand and gravel mining, and the luxury yachts are less sensitive to recessions. So, to be stable, you need different drivers. Daman was the odd one out. It was a bit of a threat, but it was small, so it could safely be ignored. 
Over time, that changed to, whoa, this guy is very successful. He's conquering the world. And now he's the most important player in the Dutch shipbuilding industry by far. So what originally began as a concept, a marketing concept, but also a business concept, is a company that is leading the way technologically within its field. Kommer is still involved with the company as the chairman of the supervisory board. His most important role is keeping up on market developments. He continues to travel the world visiting customers and shipyards, both owned by Damen and by the competition. I try to keep away from the day-to-day running of the company. I believe that is up to the executive board. I shouldn't get in their way. But if I have suggestions or notice things, I always try to talk to the board about them. My core business these days is anniversaries, funerals, retirements, people retiring and then dying. That accounts for quite a lot of my work. But then these are people who worked for me, so I owe it to them. I learned from him that taking good care of your employees is important. At the end of the day, you can have all the shipyards in the world, but if your people aren't motivated, you've got nothing. So ultimately, the human capital is the most important thing. That means taking good care of the people who work for you. That's something I learned from him. According to maritime historian Joke Korteweg, Kommer Damen has always been a shipbuilder who thought outside the box. He gave a totally different meaning to the term shipbuilding. You have to have the guts to do it. He freely admits that he's always looking over his shoulder in case there's a new young Kommer Damen waiting to pull the rug out from under him. And of course there could be. But it's striking that it hasn't happened yet, not on this scale, in any event. He works full-time. He goes to the office early every morning and comes home late every evening, even though the business is in safe hands with the next generation. It took him a while to get used to that, but he did. But his dynamism and drive are still very much there. He once told me that he couldn't sit at home when the company was 10 minutes away. He wants to know what's happening there, how it's going. The whole company, the yards, they are his child. I'm not saying his most important child, because I hope we are all equally important. But without it, he really would be bereft. Look, we're going to make a go of this, because we're the next generation, with my brother Arnout at the helm. He needs to be given the room to do it, but it's a very slow process. I think it's very hard for my father to let go. He's a big name in the world of shipbuilding. So sitting at home is not something he was ever going to do. There's only one way to manage the company, and that is to have a structure. That means delegating responsibility to the divisions and keeping a close eye to make sure the structure is still working. Because if it isn't, you'd better change something. There needs to be a synergy with the branding. We have an excellent reputation around the world. Human resources. A great benefit is that people get the chance to grow in a particular discipline, after which you can use them in a different part of the company. There needs to be a synergy with the research department. 
The cumulative knowledge we build up there can be used by all the departments and yards within the company. So what does the future hold? Well, obviously, sooner or later, I'm going to die. And then the children will have to do it by themselves. But I'm confident they'll do a good job. How do you grow a company with one yard and six employees into a worldwide conglomerate consisting of 35 shipyards that generates billions in turnover and has thousands of employees? And how do you ensure a smooth transition to the next generation? Family-owned businesses often have great strength, but they also have a tendency to develop in a particular way over the generations. It's often said that the first generation experiences the greatest change, and that the next generation, if they're up to the job, have to walk in their father's footsteps, which is not easy to do. And often the third generation isn't all that interested in the company. They disappear into different sectors, or they mess everything up. So Diamond is in an interesting phase. The second generation is in place, but they're really still following their father's footsteps. Indeed, Arnout believes standardization is even more important than it was in the past. Series production has become much more important, and he will undoubtedly have to make his own mark in that regard. Because whereas Komer Daman started with a small yard and no specific expectations, his son is taking the helm of a massive company. And his job is to keep it that way. For the time being, he's adhering to the company philosophy and keeping a historic perspective, which I think is a good choice. Although it's quite remarkable that something that worked in the 1960s apparently still works in 2023. That should give them pause. Is that really true? Arnaud wants to develop the ships as a service site in particular. He's staying loyal to the company philosophy, but he's making sure that the products and services are constantly being updated and match the needs of the market. Exactly like his father did. I think we're all pretty much on the same page. We all agree that we want to maintain the family firm. We really want to carry on and pass it on to subsequent generations. So the question is whether that happens, whether there will be a next generation. I find that hard to say. I'm having dinner with Stein on Monday, Arnout's eldest son. I'll raise the subject with him. Listening to On Course, a podcast from Damen, made by audio agency Airborne. Thanks to Kommer Damen for his trust in recording this special story, with the selfless cooperation of those interviewed. My name is Volker Tempelman, and this was On Course. Thank you for listening.